Welcome to the Matt Morgan Coaching Podcast. The fact that you're listening means you're ready to be inspired and empowered to take your life, love, and leadership to the next level. Hello, my friends. It's Matt Morgan. Welcome back to a brand new episode. Today, what we're going to do is talk about the Enneagram Type 6. And as we get going, I just want to remind those of you who are just getting on the podcast, you maybe have taken the Enneagram test. I like to go to eclecticenergies.com. You can take that there. Take the classical Enneagram version and keep in mind that's just to help point you in the right direction. But if you're just getting started, I want to encourage you to go all the way back to the beginning of the introduction, week one of the Enneagram process, because that will really help give you a framework of what the Enneagram is, which is an ancient modern personality type that is so beautiful because of its simplicity, number one, and yet the nuance and depth, number two, to be able to know yourself and the people you love in your relationship and at work. And so it's a game changer. And so today, as we unpack Enneagram type six, I have with me my good friend, Pat Elfano. Pat is my name. He's my friend. He's our pool president. He's been my financial advisor. He is an amazing man of faith. He's a husband. He's a father. I think you got the whole thing going on, brother. So thanks for joining us. Well, now that you set me up to fail, no, I'm just kidding. I'm welcome. I appreciate the opportunity. It's be fun. Absolutely. Well, you know, Stephen King once said, "There's no harm in hoping for the best as long as you prepare for the worst." Absolutely. That is the heart of a six. And so what I'm going to do, like every week, is we're going to read a list of descriptions around the six. And then I'd love to hear from you about what these resonate with you. So here we go. Number one, I'm always imagining and planning for the worst. Number two, I often don't trust people who are in authority. Sometimes it goes the other way, though. Sometimes it's I trust people big time who are in authority and follow along. The next one, people say I'm loyal, understanding, funny, and compassionate. The word loyal is huge, you guys. Just so you know, the loyal aspect. I mean, this is the golden retriever (laughs) of the Enneagram types, okay? So that's huge. Number four, most of my friends don't have as much anxiety as I do. Number five, I act quickly in a crisis, but when things settle down, I fall apart. When my partner and I are really doing well in a relationship, I find myself wondering what will happen to spoil it. Next one, being sure I've made the right decision is almost impossible. I'm aware that fear has dedicated many of my choices in life. I don't like to find myself in unpredictable situations. I find it hard to stop thinking about the things I'm worried about. I'm generally not comfortable with extremes. I usually have so much to do, it's hard for me to finish tasks. I'm most comfortable when I'm around people who pretty much like me. People tell me I can be overly pessimistic, but I know I'm just a realist. (laughs) I'm slow to start, and once I do get started, I find myself continually thinking about what could go wrong. Next one, I don't trust people who give me too many compliments. (laughs) Like maybe what I just did with you. It helps me to have things in some kind of order. I like to be told that I'm good at my job, but I get nervous when my boss wants to add to my responsibilities. I have to know people for a long time before I can really trust them, but when I do, they're there for life. I'm skeptical of things that are new and unknown. So that is the description of a six. Now, when you think about that description, what percentage of those actually impact you personally? I would say 75%, at least. Uh, And just thinking about a list that long, you know, I was going to say, I'm glad I'm not that guy, but I am. It's very accurate. 
I think. When you look at these, what in particular jump out to you that like really resonate for oh, you? Oh, it's the certainty. It's the aspects of looking at things and going, oh, it would be great if that were the outcome, but what's the worst possible scenario? That's powerful. You know, the core motivation, which is why you do what you do, remember, friends, is that's way more powerful than just what you do. So those descriptions are helpful, but I love what you just said because the core motivation is really how you find and discover your type. And so these types are really just where we kind of hover, if you will. So a lot of us have different variations. So you got 75%, but I love what you said certainty. That's the core motivation and that's how you understand your type. And that's the core motivation of a six to be able to have certainty. And as a result, they have a lot of fear and concern and worry because maybe they don't. So some sixes, you know, they're the people who actually will go into a bookstore and they'll buy a survival guide, but they'll actually buy two copies and just in case they lose one. <laughs> they want to be ready and have certainty for everything, right? They're the questioner. They're the devil's advocate. They're the skeptic. They're the people who actually have a watchful eye over relationships. And guys, they're the glue that holds the world together. In fact, one researcher said that 50% of the population in the United States are sixes. Wow. I have no idea. And that's amazing to be able to think about that. Sixes are warm. They're funny. They're self-sacrificing people. And so they're also people who appreciate order, plan, and rules, again, because of that certainty factor. And so sixes, the reason why they're called loyalists is because they love and value community. I mean, you're our pool president <laughs> in our neighborhood, yeah. right? Like, how do you think maybe your six kind of attributed to you saying, hey, there's a lot of people in our neighborhood, and yet I want to actually go ahead and lead the whole community? Yeah, I think I've always gravitated to positions of leadership when that void has not been filled. And I would, to your earlier point, say that I tend to be the opposite. I do trust those that are in leadership position. I've always been part of teams and I felt like team leaders are always the beacon, the guide. So when I see a void like that, and especially in a community like what we live in, there is one great thing that binds everybody together in that community and it's the pool. And when I saw that you know someone needed to step up to continue that connection point, it was just natural for me. Now, if you ask my wife, I did it at the wrong time without thinking, but it just, it was instinctive. If this is so great, and they need a leader, then I do want to help this community stay together. Oh, yeah. You know what's so great about our pool? Just, you know, it's not the swanky HOA pool, you guys. It's no, like it's the, the Sandlot. It's the 1960s <laughs> Sandlot pool. And that element makes it even better, it you know? <laughs> so you guys do a great job leading. You know, it's amazing how sixes, they are remarkably gifted at bonding people together. They believe in family and home and kids and marriage, and they really make choices based on their values. So if you are a teenager, a college student, or maybe you're 30 years old and your mother constantly calls you and checks up on you, that's because she's probably a six. <laughs> I come from a great six, and I know that for sure. Oh, that's great. Okay, so for you, I'm curious, what do you love about being a six? We just listed out some pretty cool stuff there. You know, I love the fact that I do have, and I don't want to sound boastful at all, but I feel like I have a natural gift of, like you said, bringing people together. Even in my business, I pride myself on making connections with clients, prospects, and other people within who I'm meeting. So I really like that. But 
ultimately, Matt, I've really struggled with the majority of the characteristics of the six because as a man, I feel like there's some weakness there that really isn't celebrated necessarily in our culture. Yeah. So I would say that the benefits I far overlook. Whereas the downsides, as I see it, have been very present for me as long as I've known about some of these characteristics. Yeah, and that's probably true of all types. And when we look at ourselves, it's like, okay, these are great, but like, look at all these problems. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> so you're probably not alone in that, but I'm sure it comes up big for you. I mean, every single time, I was just thinking about this, that we've ever been out to lunch or coffee. I think you've always, A, known someone out and about, and B, introduced me and connected me. I mean, that is the heart of a six. You know, you know everybody, you're connecting, and and then if I don't know somebody, you're connecting us together. So now, remember, as we talk through each type, each type has a healthy, average, and unhealthy version of that. And that doesn't mean that you're either healthy or unhealthy. It means like you could be healthy in one moment (laughs) and then unhealthy in the next, right? Which is probably true for most of us. So here's a definition, you guys, of some healthy sixes. Healthy sixes, what they do, they trust their own experience of life. And they're aware that certainty and utter predictability are not likely in most situations. So you can have an educated guess. You know, you can get 95% there, but absolute certainty is not really possible. And they are productive. They're logical thinkers. They are very organized with their thoughts and actions around what the world would be like. They're extremely advantageous for the common good. Again, they're loyal, they're honest, they're reliable. They are clear-eyed judges of character, and they believe in the end that everything will be all right. And so some famous sixes. Ellen DeGeneres, she's a total six. Frodo Baggins, (laughs) Lord of the Rings, there it is. He's a total six. Is he not a six? Okay, so let's talk about sixes in childhood. Let me give you some perspective of childhood, and I'd love to hear from you. So sixes, remember, we can start developing our type around age six. Six, which both of our girls a six and we're starting to figure out oh wow maybe they're this type this number and our type really is the way that we cope in our life it's the way that we protect ourselves and so sixes learn early on to worry when they hear things like don't swim until your food digests for 30 minutes or never talk to strangers it causes actually more worry in six and makes them respond in one of two ways because really there's two types of sixes they're either extremely obedient or the rebellious <laughs> and maybe sometimes a combination of the two depending on the topic but the truth is wherever they go their eye is fixed on authority and authority is big for kids who are sixes and they will watch other kids jump off a cliff into water but before they go they're going to measure if it's worth it for them and so they're hesitant at first because if they can't trust their environment you know how in the world could they trust themselves so kids who are sixes they have a hard time receiving positive messages causing them to actually miss out on the feeling of being more secure and helping them trust themselves at a deeper level so somebody could give them a compliment but they don't really receive it it kind of bounces off of them. But what's cool about sixes is that teachers and coaches love sixes because they are followers, they are listeners, they can be leaders as well, but they're so loyal, they hold a group and friends together. And you know, very few sixes actually crave the spotlight, but all of them want to be a part of the chorus. And so that's huge. Oftentimes a lot of sixes I find become teachers. Sure. And so that's really big. They like to be part of a group. So team sports, community activities, a huge win 
for sixes, put them in football, put them in sports, put them in dance. It's really, really powerful. And they find a big comfort in routine because of certainty is such a big thing. And they grow up to be the folks who hold all that community people together. So I'm curious for you, when do you first see moments of your six develop as a child for you? I always have known, well, not always. I think I recognize that I have more anxiety than most of, well, maybe not most of my peers, that 50% of us are all in this category. But I looked at my anxiety and I thought that I had trouble dealing with it rather than looking at it from the standpoint, like you had said, that we tend to have a heightened level of anxiety, both some very insignificant issues in comparison to what other people would view them. So I think my childhood, I was always trying to figure out how I acted more like my peers, even though I had more anxiety. As I've healed through my anxiety, and I still deal with it, rather than acknowledging it, being open with it to a degree, and just saying, this is who I am. So I know early on it was present, but I think I fought it. I wanted to be more like those that I looked at as confident and progressing and not being held back by that degree of certainty that I couldn't measure or foresee before I entered the situation. Do you have any specific stories that you can remember, whether it be sports or in class or something like that, where you're like, oh gosh, my anxiety's high, it's getting there? Oh yeah. From an early age, I remember, you know, my mom would tell this story better, but I've always been a big guy and I was a big kid, so I was definitely one of the valued assets on a peewee football team. But I remember, even though being the biggest kid or almost the biggest kid and being able to hit kids like I was the biggest kid, I would worry about who's going to hit me hard. And my mom would tell the story, I would sit until practice started and it was a hill down to the practice field. My mom would park the minivan right on the sidewalk and I would sit there while all the other kids were down on the field playing and just having fun. I would sit there and just be inside my head about what I didn't know what was going to happen during practice. Wow. And I wouldn't go out there until they formed stretch lines and I knew I could start. And I could stop thinking about it and I could just go actually do it. Wow. That is a great example. It's crazy how, you know, all of our types develop in childhood. And for example, for some of you, you might be listening like, I'm a six. And maybe for you, you grew up with an alcoholic father or mother. And if they had fits of rage at all, or maybe they weren't even alcoholic, they just had fits of rage. You start to learn that the world is unsafe. And so you don't want to get caught being unaware or on the football field. You don't want to be caught being unaware. So what they do is they learn to predict whether someone is going to hurt them. And what they do is that they try to do everything in their power to mitigate the damage of being hit by another kid or a parent or something like that. So crazy, isn't it? As I look back on it, it's sad a little bit. Now, I had great parents that were very supportive in my whole development through this understanding. But I feel like I missed out because I didn't have the freedom. I didn't give myself the freedom to go and just be uncertain, if you will. Yeah. So within all types, there's a shadow side, you know, a deadly sin from the base on the seven deadly sins. Plus there was added to, I like the word shadow side, but the shadow side of the six is fear. And not just any type of fear, but you named it fear in the form of anxiety. And anxiety is that vague, free-floating apprehension that arises in response to unknown or potential threatening situations that might materialize. It's what you feel when you imagine the worst thing happening. And so I think the campaign slogan for a six is what if. 
So, I mean, they even feel anxiety when life is going smoothly because they wonder what might come along and ruin it. You ever experienced anything like that? Absolutely. I mean, Becky and I, who's not a sick, but Becky, my wife and I were just talking the other day. We kind of entered a period of time where we can see the light at the end of the tunnel from some current circumstances. And I already at that point started to forecast what would be the next trial that we'll have to go through. And that's just unfair. But absolutely. It's very Yeah. I know for you, like every intelligent, smart person, you receive therapy yourself and counseling. Talk to us about that, what was going on for you and how you started to overcome anxiety. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely still a a journey. I am far better today than I have been for the majority of my life. But when I finally accepted the fact that someone else could help me think through my common thought processes, and then even going into a more science-based therapy called EMDR, which would take the whole podcast to what for described, but it has been so impactful for me to understand how I think the way I do. And honestly, how to allow myself to change my thought process. Mm. I work with, and I've found that my clients that gravitate to me are very much like me in the fact that they may not be a sick, pure, and simple, but they want to take the fear out of their future plans. So those are the people I get the most satisfaction out of helping, not ironically at all, but I'm very consistent with the fact that I love teaching. I love getting people to an aha moment. Yeah, it's been neat. We talked about like, we've done this in other podcasts that anxiety sometimes for us it feels like a gas pedal that gets stuck on go and you can't take the brake off yeah. and even when you let go of the gas pedal it's still there and the gas pedal is what if what if what if what if and it's all these future you know things that might materialize and you talked to me about this analogy of a highway and then you know getting road construction to help stop that and EMDR really be able to help you unpack that because a lot of people right now who are sixes are going what is EMDR yeah. can you please tell me a little bit you said it was going to take the whole podcast I don't care I'm willing to listen please tell us about that yeah EMDR is one of the more powerful therapies I've ever been through and I encourage anybody who's interested in it to really do your research there's a lot of misconceptions but it is effectively stopping your conscious thought patterns through the therapy to allow the background of your mind the subconscious that deals with 75 percent of all of our actual thoughts and actions to see how you have clearly mapped and it's just like you were saying a highway or even better a really trod path in the mountains mm-hmm. a hiking path in which everybody that goes along that, every time somebody comes along it, it widens the path. It makes it easier for somebody to not only travel along that path. Your brain works the same way in the fact that you have an initial trigger that sparks what they would call a negative cognition, just ultimately a negative thought about yourself. And then that spurs the next step down the path, which leads you to certain actions or anxiety or whatever it may be that that original trigger is tied to in your brain. And what EMDR does, because you're targeting that subconscious pathway and breaking that, you give yourself an opportunity through the therapy to hit those certain triggers. And at some point during the path, your brain stops and goes, oh, we've been down this path before. You know what happens at the end of this path, and you always dislike it. Mm. And so what are you going to do now, or how are you going to think about that situation you just sparked in your brain to get you here? So that you stop it 
and you can realize and broaden the scope of your picture so that that isn't all-consuming like that snowball analogy you just used with the gas pedal. Every time you go further down that path, the ball of snow, just like it's rolling down a mountain, gets bigger and bigger and bigger and harder to stop. It's so powerful. I love you even talked about how like you were able to process through, okay, let's say the worst thing did happen. Yeah. Yeah. Would I still be okay? Which for a six, actually, we always think about the worst case scenario. But to actually go there in your brain and live in that as much as you can is terrifying. Because that's the last thing you want. You recognize <laughs> it, but then you don't want to be there. Totally. So to be able to go, yes, I can be in that spot. Even if everything else that I'm proposing or forecasting is going to fall apart around me, what does it look like when that happens? And will I be okay? Ultimately, yes. And that's the answer for everybody. Life's going to look different. Life could look different in the future. Life very likely will look very different than what you think it will be like in the future. Yeah. But are you going to be okay? And getting to that spot is so empowering. That's huge. And that's a healthy six. Mm. I will end up being okay. So what are average sixes and unhealthy sixes look like? Well, here's kind of a list. So for average sixes, they question almost everything. And they struggle to get out of their heads and out of a pattern of worst case scenario planning. I mean, the whole idea, I always say, when you're in your head, you're dead. <laughs> you know, our minds can be like bad neighborhoods. You know, you don't want to go there alone. <laughs> so, that's huge. And, you know, average sixes, they're overly focused on authority and split in one of two very directions. Again, remember, they're either subservient on one hand or rebellious on the other. And they find the world to be an unsafe place and thus they respond with a fight or flight mentality. And while managing all this anxiety, they're committed, though, still to like church and government and family and social service organizations and pool president <laughs> and etc. And so unhealthy sixes, guys, they find danger around every single corner and their anxiety borders on paranoia and they fear the world is unfair and that most people are not who they say they are and cannot be trusted. And that's really tough because trust is the currency of relationship. I mean, if you have no trust, you have no relationship. And so it's really hard for them to bond in those moments. And so if they're unable to trust themselves either, man, I mean, that's why oftentimes they look sometimes to authority figures as experts to make decisions on their behalf, which can be helpful, but then it can go overboard and they ended up you know, saying, I'll just do whatever this person tells me to do. And they stop thinking for themselves. And so these six is actually what they do is they find fault in others and are usually projecting their own insecurities onto others. And again, you guys, this is not to bash anybody. This is all of us to be aware and to realize like, man, I got some unhealthy, I got some average and I got some healthy too. Now let's talk about work for a second. You know, being a six at work, you're a financial advisor and there's really two kinds of sixes. Remember the one gives their attention to authority because they think that's where the security and safety lies. And so they seek to please their bosses and serve their vision. These are called phobic sixes. And then the second type is where they're weary of authority figures and will actually be the leader instead to protect others and make sure no unhealthy leader pulls the wool over people's eyes. And so those are called counterphobic sixes. And they seek security by deliberately attacking a threat. And their security comes from conquering their fear, not capitulating to it. Now, of course, most sixes, okay, are probably a mixed bag, you know, of some of that. For you, how does your six manifest? You talked a little bit about like, hey, like other people are wanting their financial future and security of that. Hey, me too. I get it. And I want to help you with that. Matt and I have talked about this considerably. I think we're very similar in this together. I'm a freak about behavior. 
I study behavior. I study anything I can get my hands on, especially when it comes to financial behavior and how people run their lives. And it's manifested because ultimately, like I said, I tend, and I think this is natural, to attract more people like me to the business. I don't feel any satisfaction. This is sounds silly, but if someone were to have a huge investment account, bring it, and we were to work together, but they really didn't need anything, they didn't need me to help them figure something out or make them feel more comfortable about how things will work, I don't get the same amount of satisfaction as I do for somebody that, unfortunately, may not have a ton of investments yeah. that I can manage but has a ton of stuff going on that they're just going, somebody please help me simplify this picture. Mm. And that's where I go. Like, I'll walk out of the office after one of those appointments and just go like, I did it today. That was good. <laughs> you know, like, that's where it comes through. And, you know, you look at anything that I put out, the last piece I wrote was taking the fear out of finances. Wow. And that wasn't necessarily something I went, you know what, I'm going to tap into my six and I'm going to try to get this out to others. It just is who I am. Yeah. So well said. I remember leading an organization once, and I had this guy on my team. And you know, I'm a visionary leader. I'm excited. I'm a three, so I'm a super achieve efficient zero to sixty. You know, but he would be like, "How are you going to pay for that?" <laughs> and he'd be like the buzzkill, you know. And he's like, "Well, how, how are we going to do that? And how are we going to get through this? And how's this going to happen?" Yeah, it's like, and I was like, "Man, you are so annoying." <laughs> And so freaking helpful <laughs> because and the fact is he was a six and it was like, if I didn't have that guy in my life, I probably would have made some really stupid decisions in the organization. Well, but a six is look at you and go, God, I wish I had that freedom. That sounds amazing. I wish I could just progress without having to think about all of the potential pitfalls. It's an amazing thing at work, how sixes, that's where they shine. Sixes will slow you down in order to speed you up in the right direction. I can go zero to 60, but the six is like, yeah, but you're going in the wrong way. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> you're going east and we should be going west. Right. You know, figure it out and I'll help you figure that out. And that's what's so great in the workplace around a six. And so if you find, you know, maybe that person who's sometimes maybe even a little bit annoying buzzkill or whatever, honor them because they know what they're talking about because they're extremely intelligent and smart and ask more questions around them. One of the things great about six is, is that they actually love to be the underdog. Oh, absolutely. And they're like, okay, I'll pull a win out of my hat. You know, I'll pull all my chips down. And they are gifted at that because they can see things that other people like me couldn't see. I would even, to that point, take that a step further in the fact that even achieving success, uh, six, the example here, would still consider myself an underdog at that point. You know, no one's looking at me as the achieved or the achiever at that point. It was like the guy that made it somehow. Yeah. And that's not necessarily right, but to that point, very, very consistent in my story. Yeah, that's so good. Okay, let's talk about sixes in relationships, oh, okay? Boy. All right, you're married. You've been married for how long? 10 years going on 11. Come on. So almost 11 years. And what's it been like? And it'd be great to have Becky here, actually. Oh. What's it like being married to a six? What would we think she would say? Oh, man. Well, today it might be a little bit more drastic an answer, but I think she really appreciates the things that we've talked about, the benefits of Hollow Six Things. Becky is amazing. I know that God put us together for a reason because most people couldn't have walked through the amount of crap, especially with the anxiety we've talked about, that she's had to witness and be really ultimately my caretaker for in the hardest times. Mm. So I would hope she would say that the benefits outweigh the <laughs> the downside. But she, I think, would say that, you know, it really 
has helped her to, over this time, understand why anxiety, she deals with anxiety, but not to the level I do, but she would say that anxiety is much more clear to her as far as how it can truly interact with someone, right? And to the further point, we're dealing right now with looking at my oldest, our my six-year-old, and saying, you know, there's probably a good chance she has a lot of these same characteristics that I do. And maybe she benefits from me being able to help her understand how Piper, our six-year-old, is thinking in some of those things. That's so good. You know, if you're dating, friends with, engaged to, married to a six, you're going to have so many joys because they're fun, they're funny, they're warm, they're loving. They're really the glue to relationship, which I know you feel, which is why you're connected to them. But there's also that side of them where you hear a lot of what-if statements come out of their mouth and a lot of anxiety. And so if you find yourself in that space, it could be very easy for you to try to negate what they're feeling. And that could actually be one of the worst things you can do. Instead, validate their feeling and emotion. Now, keep in mind, validation does not mean agreement necessarily. It means that you're putting yourself in their shoes and seeing life through their eyes. That is validation. And so what's so powerful for so many sixes that I have talked to that said, man, my partner was so great when they said, okay, go ahead and talk out the scenario. Because by talking out the scenario, it was like you getting out of your own head. Because when you're in your head, you're dead. And so it was like, okay, I can get out of my head and let's go and talk through every possible scenario. And you just talk yourself off a ledge. And even if it did happen, would you still be okay? I would still be okay. All right. And then peace of mind can happen. And so allowing them to be able to talk through those scenarios is better than trying to tell them why they shouldn't see it that way. And so that's so powerful. And also, if you're connected to a six, remind a six of their past success and how they will be able to make it through you know, that outcome. I mean, remind them, no one bats a thousand, okay? (laughs) But we all screw up. And so again, don't call them a pessimist. You know, they're a realist and they believe that is true and it is true. But I also validate that that can sometimes drive you crazy if you hear all the what ifs and you just want to be positive and free flowing. So you need to be able to have that as well. So again, validation is like, hey, I see your point. Okay. Now, if you disagree, just say, hey, could I show you another way to look at that? Ask permission. That shows respect. If you just tell them, well, you shouldn't see it that way because um, you can actually get yourself into an argument. So I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that as a six being in relationship to other people. Yeah, I think to what you were just describing, the best thing Becky does for me when I get into my head is she gently challenges me because she's seen the pattern so many times. And I would say that she has learned quickly that just saying, don't worry about it to a six is the most ridiculous statement of the world. We can't control that. But what she can do is highlight, you felt this way in the past. And did that happen? Not necessarily. Or if it did, what was the outcome? And giving, like you said, a kind of a track record to for the six to rely on. For me, that's huge. Oh, it's so good. You know, it's crazy how advertisers, I think, have a sixth sense. 50% of the population are sixes, so they use, and probably some politicians, they use fear tactics to be able to try to get sixes in big time. So, you know, they use fear to prey on other sixes. And so, you know, maybe you're dating someone or you're just starting a relationship and you're like, man, you know, this girlfriend or this boyfriend, they really pepper me with a lot of questions. Like, is something wrong? You know, are you okay? Like, are, are we, are we good? You know? And it's like, wow, I didn't even say anything, but maybe you're giving off some vibe that makes me think that way. Instead of again, getting annoyed, just reassure them. Yeah, we're good. Absolutely. I'm so proud. I'm so excited. I love you so much. 
that really helps calm the anxiety into a six and brings them back into a peace of mind. And we own it too. We think it's always that we've done something. And my favorite thing that Becky does now is she says it's not all about you, Dad. And that helps me go, okay, she can be upset. <laughs> I didn't do anything. I'm okay with that. I'll help, but I'm okay with that. You know what I love about your relationship is even as she can challenge you, I think she can challenge you because you've given her permission to be challenging to you. And so if you're in a relationship and you are a six, May you give those in your life that you love the most permission. I mean, literally have the conversation and say, hey, I just want you to know, like, I know sometimes I can be a lot to handle and I give you permission to be able to set me straight sometimes. And I need that. And I need you in that. You know, don't be afraid of that. And so really, really powerful stuff. Again, I think sixes, they can be so wonderful. But, you know, anxiety is that thing that we have to work on. And anxiety becomes like a rocking chair. You know, it gives you something to do, but it doesn't take you anywhere. So just understand that. Now, on top of that, remember, each and every type has four total numbers that they connect to. And so you have number one, your main type. Number two is a wing, which for you is either a five, the investigator, which we learned all about last week, and then the seven, the enthusiast, which we're all going to learn about you know next week. And so just to give you some perspective, you guys, the five, again, they're more introverted, they're gravitated to a group that you know has shared values, but they can suffer from analysis paralysis with that wing five. And then the seven, though, man, they can reflect all the playfulness of the six and the seven together, the enthusiast, and they're entertaining, they're adventuresome. They're animated. You know, they're willing to risk more, but they still have to stand back and look at stuff. But they are able to plan adventure and they are more extroverted than the five. So looking at those wings, would one gravitate more for you than the other? I, you know, I can't say one or the other. I think I see myself in both of those wings. And maybe I'm just being hesitant because I don't want to be, nothing wrong with it. I don't want to be the investigator. I'd rather be the happy go lucky. <laughs> but I think, you know, we've talked about this. When I'm in a comfortable place, that's where that wing really presents itself. And that, I would say, if you look at how I am in community with people or you know, leading the charge, I would say I'm more of a six than I am a five. Yeah, or more of a seven. I'm sorry, more yeah. of a seven. Yeah, I, I would I'm totally see that. <laughs> You're definitely a six. <laughs> but yeah, I totally see that. You have the seven. You're so warm. You were the first person to say hello to somebody. You're not afraid to talk to anybody. Maybe that's a learned behavior, but you just step up and go at it. But then sixes also have two other numbers that they share. The nine is where you go in security. Okay. And the three is where you go in stress. And for you, that's where I think I see the nine like yeah. you think it's the five. I think it's actually the nine. The nine is the peacemaker. They want to be at home, relax, connect. They want to be able to, you know, just totally hang out and enjoy life and kind of be an introvert and kind of just be a homebody, watch football, yeah. you know. And I think that's where I see your nine come out. Yeah. In all the right ways. Oh, and I, I appreciate that. I think the funny thing about that is that at some point, one person said, well, you know, they were talking about a big group of people and that person is with their spouse and their spouse just said, I need to get out of here and go recharge. And this individual looked at me and said, isn't that funny? He didn't get charged up by being around everybody. And I went, yeah, I kind of need to go home and get recharged too. And I yeah. want to be in that 
comfortable, relaxed, you know. I think that's surprising for most people because especially at the pool and at work, your six and your seven are so strong and you've matured so much into the benefits of it and being personable and connected as a leader and as a friend that people think you're extroverted. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I need my alone time. <laughs> yeah. I, absolutely. Or else I'm going to get fried. Yeah. So if you know Pat Alfano, know that when he needs time at home, <laughs> give him his space. <laughs> Pretty amazing. And then let's talk about your three. So I'm a three and I go to a six in security. You're a six and you go to a three in stress. The stress of the three side for a six, they can become workaholics. They can fear that they aren't good enough deep down, which will cause anxiety to rise up even more and then start assuming the worst. And as a result, they can end up projecting an image of competency to fend off their own anxiety and give others the impression that they have it all together. So what part of that is accurate for you? You know, I look at it and I can walk out of the office on any day and revert to the three or the nine, depending on how the day went. And ultimately, that three mindset is where you can get yourself in trouble. That's where I see the unhealthy portions of my six really get exploited. But I look at it and I say, this whole thing about, you know, not worrying about what I can't control, when I'm in that three space, that's almost impossible. In fact, if I'm in that three space and I see a problem and I know that there's a fix to it, it doesn't matter what else is on the calendar. That fix is getting deployed. Like right then, just so I can get through it. There's no use in that wing of myself waiting on the solution to occur. If I see a problem, let's fix it. Funny thing is, Becky hates that. Hmm. We see and we get into maybe in a discussion that's not real comfortable, to put it that way. And I see it and I want to dive further in. I want to get it done because once it's done, it's done. Where she needs time to process it. She doesn't want to jump in. She takes time to process and then comes back with her thoughts. Whereas my thoughts go straight from my brain out my mouth, and it's done. And that's terrible in some cases. But that's the way we see it. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Well, if there is anything else that you think, man, other types, would you know this about sixes? What would it be for you? You know, I said both of these things earlier. One to a six, it is ridiculous to tell them simply, don't worry about it. Because we can't turn that portion off. So I would highly suggest that if you are in a relationship with a six, that you let go of that phrase from your vocabulary. But the second part is the best thing that happens when Becky really knows me and is operating with me as a six is she helps me to manage expectations. And that's not just always going and managing to the worst possible scenario, but really evaluating the situation that we're going into and saying, Here's what we can expect as a range. That is a great, great tip. And speaking of tips, I want to leave you with 10 final tips to be able to grow in if you find yourself as a six. Okay, so number one, I think having a regular prayer or meditation path is going to be really vital. I mean, for everyone, but in particular a six, because it allows you to get out of your head. Maybe that's like journaling. 
you know, maybe that's going on a run and processing, praying out loud, something like that, you know, is going to be very, very important. Number two, be alert for unhealthy relationships with authority. Okay. Are you blindly following, you know, or on the other hand, being totally reflexive, you know, and rebelling for no reason? You will want to find a more nuanced and conscious middle way for some of you sixes, not everyone, but for some of you. Number three, to develop self-confidence and trust of your inner life, keep a record, okay, in a journal of those times when you made and enjoyed the fruit of good decisions and, you know, you survived the bad ones because either way, you're still here. And that's really good for you to be reminded of. Number four, I want to invite you to practice accepting and truly receiving compliments from other people without being suspicious of the motives, okay, of their praise, all right? Just say thank you and really embody and embrace the gratitude and the compliment that has been given to you. Number five, when playing the role of devil's advocate, being aware that you don't bash people in the process behind their back. Oftentimes for sixes, you don't even realize you're doing it because it's subconscious. And so be conscientious of how you talk about other people to other people. Don't forget to mention the positive dimensions of people as well. It doesn't mean that everybody's perfect, okay? You're not being fake, but just realize that it's really, really big. Number six, limit your exposure to the 24-hour news cycle. <laughs> you know, I think that's so big. We can get so much fear, and so that can give such a pessimistic view of life. I mean, frankly, let's all do this, okay? <laughs> this is huge for all of us. Number seven, be alert of the early days in a relationship, okay? So if you're just starting off day or in friends with somebody, I mean, ask yourself like, okay, what's causing me either to question them or cling to them? Okay, go ahead and ask yourself that question. Number eight, learn to recognize the difference between legitimate fear and free-floating anxiety and ascribe different value to them. Okay, those are two different things. Number nine, when you go negative, guys, flip the script. You change your lens, you change your life. Just pause and ask yourself this one question. What's another way to look at that? I think that would be really helpful. Okay, what's another way to look at that? And so flip the script on that. And the average person actually needs to be able to tell themselves something 70 times before they even begin to believe it, okay? So subconsciously, as you were talking about, Pat, like, oh my gosh, like, probably told herself something a thousand times. So it's a really big tip. And finally, number 10, you know, the contrary virtue, you guys, of the deadly sin of fear, it isn't courage, it's faith. Faith is a gift. So maybe pray for it <laughs> and it will come. So Pat, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Thanks for having me on. This has been fun, man. Well, for the rest of you, if you got questions, we got answers, simply go to mattmorgan.com, click on the contact us page, and I would love to go from there. But stay tuned for next week as we unpack the final number, type seven, the enthusiast. Cheers for now. Thanks for listening to the Matt Morgan Coaching Podcast. Subscribe below, share it with your friends, and if you want to take your life, love, or leadership to the next level, check us out online at mattmorgan.com.